John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 292.ZP0110, certificate number 34659, the crash at Crush. The crash at Crush. Quoi? Do you like this about American culture, the, um, the love of just big destructive spectacle? Yes. I guess, I mean, I guess it's implicit in even a fireworks show, but like America really took away the subtext when we just started having monster truck rallies. And monster trucks. Demolition derbies. Mm, love them. Well, what even is that? A big truck runs over old cars? A demo, uh, well, no, a demolition derby. Oh, demolition derby. That's a monster truck thing. Demolition derby is. Is when old cars yeah, crash into each other. people are in the cars. In fact, there are whole, um, there are whole like car types, like Eras, eras of certain kinds of GM cars where the car has become rare and collectible just because so many of them were used <laughs> in demolition derbies. They just picked, what, the, the, the cheapest, most disposable muscle car that would do the stuff they wanted? No, they picked like really big, large-bodied cars oh, that yeah. had big motors and could sustain a lot of damage. Safety reasons. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the... A lot of what takes a demolition derby car out of action is that the radiator gets crushed and drains all the water out and then the engine overheats. So cars that had radiators that, that had, you know, enough steel in front of them that they were protected. Now you're a world traveler. Do you, would you agree with my assessment that other cultures don't really have as many analogs to these big destructive, destructive spectacles as you would think what well it's interesting does anybody in north korea just go watch tanks run over uh uh oxen it it feels like at least at least in my experience in traveling in the 80s and early 90s that a lot of other countries did not have the same sort of osha dictated safety uh Sort of uh, protocols. So any any uh, sporter event could could turn into a demolition. Derby. I mean, if you think about the running of the bulls, yeah, that's true. Um, if you think about a lot of those pilgrimages, also I went to a couple of fireworks displays in Europe where it seemed like they were just setting off the fireworks on the ground, uh, <laughs> and they were like major fireworks displays. Just some they, kid is holding one. Yeah, like the guy would light it and throw it in the air, and so these things. And there were no. There was no fence or anything keeping Something you'll notice back. very quickly about Europe is you just go to a waterfall or a glacier or something and uh, it won't just, it won't be regulated to within an inch of its life by lawsuits. Right. You could just fall into the waterfall if you but, stand too close to the edge. But I think it's not, um, I mean, other than, yeah, I mean, there are, there are examples of things like the running of the bulls where it's like, well, this is just mayhem. But of course it dates, it's not, it's not tech technological like in the, in the United States where it's like let's take two locomotives and put them on the same track and point them at each other. That's the story today. That's, that's Oh, what? Really? Yeah, this is <laughs> that's kind of the that's I think the maybe the birth of this weird American obsession with just twisted metal. And the funny thing is we have now given it to the world in our action movies. Right. Uh the car chase took a while to develop, right? There's no great car chases in the 30s, 40s and 50s. I mean, there is disaster spectacle the the fire burning Atlanta and gone with the wind and so forth. Right. Uh, I mean, we had some real ones like the Hindenburg and I mean, there, there was some filmic evidence of 
big disaster. But we didn't fetishize them. I guess the Titanic is an early example of a disaster that does get fetishized in fiction. You know, the 40s and the 50s, there are big budget movies where you can really relish the great ship on its side. And, right. Um, you, you know, there's something a little unseemly, I think, about, you know, do you remember after 9-11 when big plane crash set pieces got taken out of movies? Oh, a because lot of them, we right. knew we were not in the mood for collapsing cities. Yeah, no, and, thank you. And then like six months later, there's a big Transformer movie and they're like, yeah, this is, we're in the mood for skyscrapers coming down again. That that lasted a few months. But. Yeah, you definitely watched uh, Fight Club in a different way yeah. after 9-11. Even, yeah, any movie, like even a Godzilla type, no matter how fanciful the movie um, monsters blowing up buildings, you were a little bit like, ooh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But but there is something about maybe the way you contextualize it in fiction that makes people able to handle it. You know, maybe the Hindenburg made us want to see more explosions and real-life plane crashes made us want to see planes come down. And I guess King Kong is kind of oh, that's true. a little bit close to this. But yeah, you're right. It wasn't until the French Connection... Yeah. Where we had, or uh, or what's that Steve McQueen movie where he drives the bullet. green bullet, where you have these uh, these action set pieces. And they get crazier and crazier, and now yeah. the cars go on sidewalks and downstairs and on one set of tires, and uh, it's kind of become its own thing, divorced from the, the muscular viscerality of Steve McQueen actually upshifting eight times in some, yeah. somehow in Bullet. But when you watch Bullet, the the thrill is less about whatever the car chase is about and more about the fact that he gets that car airborne and you're like, he is not going to be able to recover. Like <laughs> if, if one thing goes wrong, that car is going to roll. So it's really more about like the actual physics of the car chase and less about the, because now you watch a car chase like that and you never actually really feel like the stunt man is in danger. Yeah. Uh, but that well, I think it's because now you know how digitally assisted it could be, right. unfortunately. And I guess Steve McQueen also in The Great Escape had that wonderful motorcycle. I'm thinking, yeah, even though I think of this as American, I think a lot of those 60s British-directed epics, like um, you know David Lean crashing the train in Lawrence of Arabia or blowing up the bridge spoilers at the end of... Bridge on the River Kwai. Right. These Sorry. are all kinds Sorry, of... Sorry, everybody that hasn't seen the Bridge on if, the River Kwai. If you Kwai. were just invested in the bridge... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what I'm saying is, like, love it in the second act right. because it's not going to last. Look, Alec Guinness agreed with you. He <laughs> felt the same way. You know, but you know that's a big part of those movies, and I guess all war movies is that Bond movies. Guys got to see big stuff crash into other big stuff and blow up, and there was something exciting about seeing a whole train crash or a whole bridge explode because you'd never seen it before. And and watching a lot of war movies as I have done, the the ones where they are clearly setting fire to uh, barrels of napalm that are behind trees mm-hmm. compared to the ones where you really feel like they've actually blown up a thing. Um, it's a huge difference and it's, and it's being navigated during that period. There are, and today of course, both options are neutered by more likely you right. know, the, digital the, fire, the, the pixels you can sense. Yeah. Um, and movies will go to great lengths to show, no, 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 we really uh, put a bomb under this Jeep. Look, you know, um, because they know people want that, sense of metal and fire and uh and shrapnel i remember watching or maybe it was a book i had some some book that uh was about the making of indiana jones the the yeah holy grail or whatever yeah raiders no raiders of the lost ark thank you and it described the process they went through to you know that scene where the big lorry is dry has kidnapped um Mabel Marion Marion and is leaving the souk and Indiana she, Jones they switched baskets but we didn't know they sw- switched baskets and then the truck goes up on two wheels and explodes and tips over and and burns and then Indy runs back and he's like Marion but she's gone uh the process of blowing up that truck was described in this black and white magazine that I had where they actually had a a log inside of it that had an explosive charge that pushed the, shot the log out the bottom. Yeah, to, to unbalance to the thing. unbalance the truck. It's very hard to get a car to do all these things that you need to have it do in a superhero movie. Yeah, and then, then for, so from now on, every time I watch Raiders, I look for the log and you can see it shoot out of the bottom <laughs> of the truck and push it over. Uh, what about this theory? It's, um, 
depictions glamorizing the shrieking of metal and fire and stuff are rare at a time when people are actually going to war, sending their kids to war. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, as, as generations rise that do not know war firsthand or think of it as kind of a video game done by a group of guys in Georgia somewhere, then we're, we're, now we have a stomach for it. I mean, if you think about the height of Vietnam, it was also the beginning of those big, you know, not the beginning, but, but very popular Patton yeah. and Tora, Tora, Tora. There were a lot of the, the really big budget. Epics like, that were really crashing planes. Yeah. And- we're going to, we're going to refight World War II here for you. And, and P-40 Tomahawks are really easy to come by. So we're going to blow up 10 of them on the runway here. Um, and that's at a time when their uh, controversial war is on the bad war six o'clock news every night and nobody wants it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think that the huh. that part of the appeal was that that was the good war, and there were still and uh, and and the greatest generation were all in their fifties, so they were like, we want to see a good war where the bad guys are bad, not this war where the hippies are winning. Well, a seminal moment in this uh, development of the American taste for. Uh, massive, real, visceral destruction in front of your eyeballs uh, happened in the 1890s. What? Really? So early? Yeah. Uh, the f- Just, you know, this particular story takes place in Texas, but there had been train crashes of this kind earlier that year in just outside Columbus, Ohio. And it later spread as kind of, a, you know, once these two became big moneymakers and made headlines all over the world, it, it became a thing where... Uh, Towns and railroads just started crashing trains into each other to, as kind of a, a turn of the century WrestleMania. Well, and it, sell tickets. We must have had at the time a lot of old locomotives that nobody was using anymore. That's what happened here. It's easy to, unlike some of these the demolition derby cars, it was easy to find surplus locomotives. It costs you almost nothing to run them into each other. Right. This particular. Uh, Collision, which happened just north of Waco, Texas, at a place called Crush, was the brainchild of a one William Crush. It was a place called Crush. Yes, but not really a place on the map. It was a uh, an early example of a pop-up business. Uh-huh. The town of Crush was created pretty much overnight over one weekend in September of 1896, just for the sole purpose of ramming two steam locomotives into each other. So was it a fake train or i'm sorry a fake town did they actually build a town uh they built as much of the town as you need it's to the degree that coachella is a fake town oh i see okay um william crush was the general passenger agent for the missouri kansas and texas railway uh called the kt as we've mentioned before when it came up in kt freeway form on the uh, in the omnibus uh the general passenger agent is basically the the face of the company to the customer base. Do airlines have an officer like this, a chief uh, customer experience officer? I, I don't even know. They must. But he, uh, I, I mean, don't know. United certainly doesn't. Is he the guy in the in the video that tells you how uh, they're making it safer for you or whatever? No, that always seems like the CEO, I know, but a he, person with no presence, no on-screen presence. But that's just because he's the CEO and nobody can tell him, sir, you shouldn't do the ads. Hi, I'm the CEO of Delta Airlines and I want to, it's, it's the, just like, stop it. It's the Super Bowl ad with the guy. Did you see the one with the guy pl- uh, playing this ukulele song about oat milk or whatever? No. It's just a guy singing about oat milk, and nobody could tell him no because he was the founder. Oh, founder! He's like the My Pillow guy. Yeah, but it would be cute if it was Ben and Jerry, or Bartles and James, or maybe some combination: Bartles and Jerry, Ben yeah, and James. But, but Bartles and James, they those that, those had to be actors. That wasn't Bartles and James. I I believe I'm too lazy to look it up, but I'm almost certain those were Bartles and James, and their, their kind of lack of affect and charisma was was not a performance <laughs> right well and that's dave from wendy's too so yeah, like, exactly hey, it's, it's the screen the screen uh charisma of dave from wendy's but i really want to boot that delta airlines guy off of those videos it's just like sir you are not appealing i mean you're a nice looking man uh, isn't this i guess the thing we you're believe rich. about capitalism that 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 tall uh well-spoken charismatic white men are taking over all these positions? If so, why are they so terrible about doing the safety video? They're really bad, and you're absolutely <laughs> right. It's just like, can't tell the guy no. That's good. Maybe it's a true meritocracy where uh, these people just happen to be good at their jobs, and 
they suck at the public facing stuff. I mean, they, then it immediately segues to all these totally super attractive people that are, I guess, actual yeah, airline the, employees. The real pilots and flight attendants who won the contest to, to demonstrate the vests are always really good, I think. Yeah, pretty good. Do you remember when that redheaded Delta stewardess oh, became like a celebrity because so much. because she was in every video? She was super striking, like 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 beautiful, but also to the point of being weird looking. Yeah, like like distinctive uh, features. Yeah, like UFO. Uh, are you? It's your opinion that she was an alien. I believe that it's possible that Delta Airlines is using reverse engineered alien technology to cram as many people into uncomfortable seats as they can, and they're using an actual UFO girl to make us feel like. To prepare us for a time when all those planes are actually flown by UFOs. And to prepare us for getting crammed into the uh, the right. arcs when they take us back to, to, <laughs> right. put, to put us in their zoos. The, the cattle cars, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, But the passenger agent at the time also, is he's not just customer service, he's also kind of the, uh, he appears to be kind of a public relations right. side of the company. And uh, in the 1890s, the Katy Railway, the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas, is doing great. It's growing by leaps and bounds. I who, think it's— Who doesn't want to live in Missouri, Kansas, or Texas? It, it, these are booming parts of the country. Right. I think it's the first railroad to cross what is today Oklahoma, what was then still Indian Territory. Right. Um, they had a lot of profitable routes where no uh, railroad had gone before. But it was a time when more and more railroads were getting into the business, a time when you would want to differentiate yourself from— the competitor and build a, a loyal following. Sure, the Atchison, T- Topeka, and Santa Fe is also in there trying to steal some of that business. And catchier, Atchison, Topeka. And it sounds like yeah, a train. It's a great, it does sound like a train. Missouri, Kansas, and Texas, it sounds like three Monopoly properties you want all three yeah, of. Right. Um, and but there have been a couple downturns in the 1890s. So it's, um, you know, it's there's no belief that the good times are going to go forever. Uh, so I'm, I'm just trying to explain why a railroad would go to the lengths of just creating its own coachella and crashing two trains into each other. Um, my question about all this is, how does a railroad think that this helps their business <laughs> to advertise <laughs> what is probably a real fear, which is two locomotives on the wrong track crashing into each other? You're saying there's a reason why airlines don't crash planes into terminals. Or they don't show movies that have crashing airplanes in them on oh, in-flight movies. I saw, and when I was a kid, I, the first time I ever saw Rain Man, I was on a plane. And all the reference, you know, Dustin Hoffman spends half that movie talking about historic plane crashes. Right. Uh, and it's all, it was all taken out. It's all taken out. And I believe the only airline that left it in was Qantas, because he makes the point that Qantas has never had a major crash. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, two trains crashing into each other. I guess then you think, look how lucky I am that I wasn't on that train. And I guess it, it, I mean, it, it remained a plot in films until just recently when no one ever is on a train anymore, but I mean, trains crashing into each other until the nineties. We talked about this recently in the Allegheny time entry that it was, it was in an era before plane crashes, terrorist bombings, et cetera. It was the scariest thing you can think of. This was probably people's go-to nightmare fuel from a headline was, uh, not a riot, not a. Not a bombing, tornado. not a tornado. I guess it could have been an earthquake, but... Uh, but only on the West Coast. Who has earthquakes? Yeah. And nobody lived on the West Coast. And also, you know, you can't really visualize... You know, nothing about a hurricane making landfall is, uh, you know, is, is sudden or... Um, Filmable, either. Yeah, or suspenseful in a way. You and they're probably... I think that there was an, uh, a real lack of knowledge about tidal waves. <laughs> Right, tunnel waves are not a thing that I mean they're a thing. That's you're what aware I'm always of. saying about the Gilded Age. Yeah, Mark Twain. How many times has he mentioned? <laughs> how many times in Huckleberry Finn has he mentioned tidal waves? But zero. I feel, I feel like I knowledge my of case. knowledge of tidal waves partly was a result of like the the spread of archaeology and and yeah. you get to this thing where you're like, now how did this get all the way up this mountainside? Oh, tidal wave. But you know, in hindsight, I think the thing that led this railroad to say. Let's get in the headlines by crashing two trains into each other is actually the trains are kind of incidental. It, we've always said on the omnibus that everything goes back to World's Fairs. Absolutely. And the prior year in 1893, the the Columbian Exposition or whatever it's called in Chicago had pretty mm-hmm. much invented the modern midway. I mean, we still call it a midway because the one for that World's Fair ran down Midway Park or whatever it was. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were not called, you know, that, that was just kind of the main alley of this fair that had all the fun games and stuff. 
was along this kind of boulevard that was already called Midway. I definitely invented the comics of uh, Chris Ware. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The Columbian Exposition. You you wouldn't have sad Chris Ware comics (laughs) without it. Um, But so this was, this was the new hot entertainment trend that ever in, insofar that public relations existed and people, brands were chasing trends. This was it. You get a bunch of people together on a, on a mid, on an alley of fun games and you can pretty much print money because they'll go to the lemonade stands and they'll go to the beard gardens, right? And they'll do all the shooting galleries and uh, and what tunnel of love and tunnel of love, the haunted house, the all, all this all this fun house type stuff. You know, you're making me really nostalgic for a time when those were real things that I loved. Was this the the late twenty the late nineteenth century? <laughs> do you remember when the Seattle Center had all of those things like? Uh, the Space Mountain and the Cotton Candy and were you, were you sad when they tore down the fun forest? I was. I I used to love going there. <laughs> I always used to say it's neither fun. I tell tell the kids. The kids would always want to go, and I'd be like, <laughs> kids, it's not not fun and it's not a forest. In the 1970s, it was fun. And it, was. it was a forest. It felt it felt dangerous and cool. And there was no other uh, amusement park in the neighborhood after. Uh, what that one up by Holler Lake went away. Oh, I don't even know if I ever went to that one. Well, I, I think it was gone by the late sixties, oh, but that was where my parents would go. Holler Lake. Uh, what was it called? Playland up on Aurora. No? no, I think I think I remember seeing the wreckage of it. Yeah. Well, but wait, there was the there was the the all the rides at the zoo. There weren't that many rides at the zoo. There was the little train. I know you loved the train. You've, <laughs> you've talked at length about your. I love that little train. You're uh, you're the little train's foremost evangelist now. I love it. Um. But this, so this was the big entertainment trend of tomorrow, you know, and I think it, you see the same thing today when somebody has a hit with a, a music festival or, right. or a, a South by Southwest, any kind of gathering, every city is like, well, we got to get us one of those. How do we get a film festival? How do we get a, a music uh, weekend? How do we get a... Seattle has tried so many times to have a rock music <laughs> festival. It just doesn't take off. But uh, we did have Luna Park. Think about that. That's got to be a, a, a the, thing the, that comes from this. West Seattle? West Seattle's Luna Park. We yeah. had a, a Ferris wheel and a boardwalk. And a, but very short-lived, I think, right? Yeah, no, it caught on fire. <laughs> right. But my uncle I think that's what happened. It. I think that's what happened to a lot of those, kind of, uh, your local Coney Island. Um, Madison Park had a had a merry-go-round. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a dance hall and whatever, a, a, what must have been a sideshow. So everybody can have one of these. You can set it up. Uh, Take money and hand over fist for a week or a weekend or whatever. And uh, William Crush reads about a successful Ohio outfit crashing two railroads and thought, oh boy, that's the kind of thing that thousands of people are going to want to see. They can't go anywhere else for it. I got all these locomotives. It's on brand for us, a railroad. Who else can do it? Because somebody's got to build the track and uh, and provide the railroads. What is the, the, der- the, the, the derivation of the name Crush? So his name is William Crush. Uh, he sets up this uh his the little town he builds north of Waco, Texas. He calls Crush, Texas. And oh, you're asking wh- how a person can be named Crush? Well, what it seems what, so cool. What kind of uh yeah. what kind of culture or Is like it what Krasinski and then yeah. it got Ellis Islanded? Crush. I, it's not a name I've ever heard. No, but it's pretty cool. It is very cool. And it's irresistible for the papers, which even in its time, I think this event is called the Crash at Crush, which today sounds like a, a thrill at Manila style um Right. 20th century coinage. The crash at crush. It does. It feels like being named like Johnny Dangerously. <laughs> right. It seems made up. Uh, but nobody can deny that the crash at crush is a very catchy thing to call. And the newspapers loved the what they called the realistic and expensive spectacle of, um, of the Ohio crash. And so the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railway falls in line behind... Uh, William Crush's dream of ramming two uh, locomotives into each other at high speeds. God, it's my dream too. I would, I would love to see it. Oh yeah, but there are some downsides. Um, Pieces of flying locomotive killing spectators. For example, I would say that's the main one. Huh. Spoilers. Hey, this is the part of the show that you hate because we talk about our bottoms. Oh, I mean, I love the Hello Tushy device. I just don't like talking about bottom stuff. It's difficult to talk about how great the Hello Tushy 3.0 modern bidet attachment is without mentioning the part of your body you will set on it and clean with it, which is your bottom. I know. I mean, technically people have 
bottoms for a long time. We, we all have bottoms. And everybody does bottom stuff. And you need it to be. <laughs> that is not my experience at all, but okay. <laughs> you need it to, it's an area that you'd like to keep clean. And That uh, is true. And that is, you know, not as easy as it sounds. Because you can't see it. It's all the way down there at the bottom. It's universal that we all want, a, yeah, it's right there in the name. Yeah, that's It's right. universal that we all want a clean bottom. And what's not universal is convincing people that a precise stream of fresh water hmm. is a nicer way to do it than than pawing away with paper. But this it, is it the, really is. This is the future of toileting. I want as to we say <laughs> I want to assure you yes. that this is the way you want to clean your chassis. So we're talking about the brand new Hello Tushy 3.0 modern bidet attachment. Is that right? No electricity, no additional plumbing. You'll cut your toilet paper use by 80%. <laughs> It'll pay for itself in just a few months. No, wait. I I understand all of the technology, but is this device stylish, eco-friendly, easy to install, and affordable? I would say it's four for four. And, Whoa. And it comes with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. So you can try it out at no risk to yourself. And oh, tell me more about this Schmutz Shield. It's a feature that offers easy cleaning. The knobs are naturally antimicrobial, which is That's not nice. something I can say about myself. Or my knobs. Uh, but it's the schmutzy, and you know it's good because it has a little TM at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't mind saying schmutz, although when you start to think about it, I don't want to think about it too You don't much. want to combine schmutz with the area we're discussing. No. So this has a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty? Go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus and you'll get 10% off your order plus free shipping. This is a special offer for our listeners only. Go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus for 10% off. You can tell it's a special offer for our listeners because it has the word omnibus in the URL. Yes. That's hellotushy.com slash omnibus. So a whole town is built... Uh, just north of Waco again in a convenient valley. Miles of track have to be laid. Um, these 35-ton locomotives have just been have been recently retired and replaced with larger models. I guess this was a time of transition. Yeah. You know, rapidly advancing technology in the Gilded Age. Um, so it's easy to find two old 35-ton locomotives that still run fine. Uh, he asks, on the technical side, he wants to know if anything could go wrong. What could you, go wrong? If you ram these things into each other at high speed and... Two superheated boilers. Right. And uh, all the engineers are like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Then one guy is like, the boilers could explode and kill everyone. Then the next guy is like, it's fine, it's fine. So only one guy tries to warn him. And of course, he's outvoted. Sure. There's always one scientist waving a sheaf of papers right. at, these, like, at these things. The seas are rising. The Judd Hirsch from uh, Independence Day scientist. Uh, so he disregards this and goes ahead. Um, the two railroad, the two, uh, locomotives are repainted. One is now number 1001 red with green trim. The other is the, the Christmas train. The other is the 999 green with red trim. Oh, the other Christmas train. Yes. I guess it's, it's harmonious. Mm -hmm. I noticed that in the Super Bowl this year with kind of, you know, red with black trim playing black with red trim. Basically it was nice. It was like somebody had actually designed the game for a change. Oh, when the Broncos play the, uh, so, uh, the, the Green Bay Packers, and suddenly it's green, yellow, orange, blue, and black out there. You yeah. don't think, what a great idea. You're describing my living room. <laughs> Mid-century modern Super Bowl. <laughs> a little, uh, a little uh, Juan Miro football action. Uh, each car is, uh, all the brass is polished. Six box cars are found to line up behind them. Oh, they make them into trains. They're going to be, you, you want to see two trains hitting each other yeah. because you can imagine it's a different experience. It's the crush. The trains are going to accordion. There's going to be like a secondary uh, collision when the, as the, the box cars uh, kind of waver, wobble back and forth. And um, can, can you pay to put your enemy in the box cars <laughs> for a hundred thousand dollars? Actually, nobody pays. It's free to watch. Oh, fun. The problem is you have to get to the middle of nowhere West Texas. Um, they got to be selling merch, though. T-shirts and that's the cigarette thing. lighters. Okay, first of all, it costs you $2 to get there from anywhere in the state of Texas. And, and you know, we think of that as a loss leader. But that's, in modern dollars, that's about 60 bucks. Right. That's so that's a, that's a, that's, you know, that's a reasonably expensive weekend activity for for many Texans. Well, it's 60 bucks, but I don't think most people made $2 a week, probably. I mean... 
All that all that translation of like two dollars yeah. then was sixty dollars. It now. doesn't do wages. Yeah, it it does, just, it's it, not it, close. It, it does commodities. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you know, this was uh, the thing about the Gilded Age is, um, you still have a, a large industrial immigrant, you know, largely in a new immigrant population um, that's still not being treated very well. But for the first time. You're starting to see things like uh, labor unions, eight-hour workday. There's a little bit of leisure time some possible. Le- some leisure and luxury possible. I mean, that's why Twain called it the Gilded Age. There's there's gross stuff underneath, but there's a nice gold leaf on the surface. There's right. there's nice world fairs to go to and, and cotton candy to eat. Right. Clean um, water. The water's clean. Uh, and in fact, water is an issue here. Big, big uh, train cars of water are brought in on this new spur. Uh, artesian wells are dug. Uh, lemonade stands appear. Um, so it's a boon. Lunch counters. You know, it's temporary. All the stuff's going to be gone by Monday. But um, Crush knows P.T. Barnum somehow. I guess PR is a small world. Of course. Of course. So he gets a tent from Barnum, and that becomes a big restaurant so they can make a ton of money selling food. Uh, you know, they think they're going to get a, a few thousand people. Uh, and um, as the... Uh, weekend nears of uh, September 15th, 1896, it becomes clear that this is now the event to go to. People are going to come from all over Texas to watch two freight trains or two trains run into each other. So it's like, there's not a lot to do. And it's, it's a one minute moment. Yes. But like, you know, like Disneyland, you know, they know pirates only last parts of the Caribbean only last three minutes, but they got to keep you, Shopping on Main Street and eating beignets and stuff for the rest of your day. Right. So you don't mind the hour you spend in line. Right. And it's kind of like the launch of a Saturn V rocket. I mean, people come from all over to watch it. It only lasts a few minutes, but it's... It's the experience right. and the buildup. Super exciting. It's, it's a day out, basically, for these, for these families where, you know, new explorers of the West, the weekend's just been invented but like uh, it's going to take them a week to get there this is this is before the motel it's before the land cruiser texas is big uh said (laughs) say the lyrics to anchored down in anchorage (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't want to offend an alaskan but texas is it is pretty big that's okay um so many people pour into the made-up town of crust oh there's also a jail by the way because they know there's going to be some rowdies I'm sure there's beer for sale at some of the lunch stands. But so, it's it's close to the bustling hub of Waco. <laughs> it's 15 miles away from Waco. <laughs> the thing about West Texas, then, is there's no college football. The first college football game has only been played three years ago. And that's you know that's what's kept the people of Texas pacified sure. for, for decades. So they didn't, there wasn't anything else so keeping th- them from wilding. They don't rise up against their capitalist oppressors because they're worried about beating uh, Peytonville or whoever the next town down the line is right but at the time there's nothing going on so everybody boards a train and you know so every train uh every katie train is suddenly being redirected to uh the made-up town of crush texas which by the morning of september 15th uh, already has tens of thousands of people and new trains arriving every five minutes so crush is already making his money back just in train tickets oh yeah like this, this thing is going to be massively, massively profitable. It is the event of the season, insofar as there's kind of a, a social whirl in West Texas. Think about it right now. If they said we're going to crash two old-fashioned locomotives, or even two modern locomotives, into one another out in Wenatchee, wouldn't you get the family in the old, uh, old yeah. wagon and drive on? I out mean, there? the thing about COVID is it is enforced. It's kind of turned us all into the 19th century. There's nothing to do on weekends. <laughs> I would go watch it. I would absolutely. I mean, I would worry about it for crowds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's the same reason you don't. I don't want to go to, uh, uh, what Mardi Gras or even a rock festival is because are the crowds going to be a nightmare? Are you worried about stampedes? No, because I, 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 one of my formative memories was the, was the stampede at the at that who concert yeah in 1980 where everybody that's actually should be an omnibus but that you know scared me about crowds ever since and i always kind of hang to the edge i never want to be you're not wrong yeah i just 
don't find it a pleasurable trip if you're, you know, I don't want to go to Times Square on New Year's Eve either. You right. Know? Oh, we t- I feel like we talked about this recently on the Omnibus. It's back. I went, I went to the lighting of the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Center mm-hmm. and it was awful. I felt in ab- absolute jeopardy at all times because you know you know what that ice rink is like. There's no way in or out. I mean, there are a dozen choke points, but there's no way for all those people to move. I think that's my nightmare. What if I just I want to drop by and suddenly I'm there for five hours or even on the. I mean, I think that about going to professional sports. I'm like, is this going to be a huge cluster? How am I going to get out of here? Yeah. yeah. Um. So by the morning of September 15th, this is now the second biggest city in the state of Texas. (laughs) There are 40,000 people, all told, in Crush, Texas. The uh, crash is supposed to happen at 4 p.m., but train cars full of uh, gawkers are still arriving every five minutes. And, of course, William Crush wants to sell uh, sandwiches to them, fried chicken to them all. So it it finally gets delayed about an hour. Finally, about 5.10. Oh, they should do it at night. That seems like they'll be, you know, like... I guess set I, both trains on fire. I guess they don't have the lighting for it yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. Right. I wonder what the power situation was like. Zilch. Nothing. There's nothing. Well, what is this? 18... 1893. I'm just there's saying there's, no, there's no power at I, all. Well, I'm just, I, that's what I'm saying. There's no, what's your lighting, you know? Tiki torches. Yeah, candles. Uh, so at 5.10 p.m. on September 15, 1896, uh, William Crush comes out on a horse, because it's Texas, to address mm-hmm. the crowd. He's uh, he takes off his his hat and waves it. It says here that power electric light was brought into Texas in 1882, uh, originally in Dallas, but almost certainly they had not run that much electric power out to crush. Uh, no, I'm quite certain uh, Waco didn't have Waco right electricity much less. It's amazing to think that he thought that he could address a crowd of 40,000 from on top of a horse. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the... Hey, everybody! Highest thing for miles around. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the, uh, the spot was chosen because it's kind of in a valley. Oh, right. So that it's an, a kind of a natural amphitheater where the crowds can stand up on the slopes and watch this new... Uh, varying accounts say they built lay between 3 and 15 miles of track for this. I don't know how much of a run-up they got. Um... And he uh, waved his hat, giving the signal. The two trains are miles away, but they start cruising toward each other. They get up to the fastest speed they can. And um, this is a thing where the engineers like put them in motion and then jump off. Yeah, jump off pretty quickly. Um, you know, whatever is in place to to the lever to the push throttle. the throttle as far forward as you can get, so they speed up at high speed. And then just thirty <laughs> yards from a dead stop, the engineers and conductors all jump out. And now these. Uh, locomotives with carrying six box cars, I think all plastered with advertising. <laughs> it's, it's not that different than Coachella. Right. Um, Pepsodent. Head toward each other on the same track at top speed. So once this gets going, there's no turning back. There's no way to... Maybe that's part of the appeal of it, just the inexorability of... Yeah. I, oh, I, I, I can't look. This is done. It, it will be... Whatever, you know, the Willy Wonka thing, like the, the suspense is delicious. I can't wait. Um, they reach about 50 miles an hour. And I think that's a piece, hmm. oh. which means you're essentially washing the, you know, the equivalent of a car ram a cement wall at a hundred miles per hour. Um, and modern scientists have estimated there's somewhere in the neighborhood of one to 2 million pounds of force. When you take into account the telescoping of all the box cars coming from behind was it timed well enough that the crash actually happened in the location, like in the center of this thing? Or did one, was one locomotive a little faster? Like, was it pretty well targeted? It must have been pretty well targeted because uh, where the crowds were, that's where it happened. And the one engineer who said, are you crazy? What if a boiler explodes? Turns out to be right. Locomotives see each other, and both boilers immediately explode. As you would expect. So they spray bolts and bits of iron shrapnel and scalding water all over the crowd, which, 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 which is style, right there and very close to the <laughs> right, track. The style of the time they were all standing 20 feet away. Yes, and uh, many people are injured. Two people die. Uh, even the official photographer from Waco that the Katy Railroad has um, 
has paid to take photos of the event, uh, takes a piece of iron to one eye Ugh. and is, is blinded in his eye. Uh, the, uh, the eyewitness accounts are really interesting. There's a Confederate veteran there. Oh, I'm sure there's many. Sure. But one, one mentions that the, I guess this ties into war movies again, the smoke and the explosion and the people falling, <laughs> falling to the ground all around him frightened him more than uh, the war did. And he was, he was at Gettysburg for Pickett's Charge. Wow. I mean, he doesn't say, and I have PTSD, but that's kind of the, seems like it's the subtext of the quote. Sure, it hadn't been invented yet, this, PTSD. Yeah, this felt like combat. Wow. And despite the fact that people are, are dropping right and left, everybody immediately makes a beeline for the crash because everybody wants a souvenir. Right, of course. And, uh, the ones that didn't get a bolt to the head. Right, but then they're picking up hot metal. Ah, wait a second. Right. You know, so people are rushing up for souvenirs and burning themselves on their hot potato uh, souvenirs. So this goes from spectacle to fatal disaster in seconds. And interestingly, it doesn't seem to have colored anybody's view of the, of the event. The Every, newspapers were raving. Everyone still has a great day out. <laughs> I guess it's just the utilitarian way to look at it. Sure. Two people died, but you know, that was only one in 20,000. Your odds were pretty good of having just a great day. Sure. Out of 40,000 people, probably 200 died of dysentery <laughs> in any given moment. Yeah. I wonder if the math is different back then. Oh, I think so. I mean, human life was just not anywhere close to as valued as it is now. Plus, even the people who died got to see the great train crash. Sure. So it's, it's the last it, thing they saw. <laughs> what, a, what a way to go. <laughs> um, William Crush is fired for, oh. for the two deaths and then... When it's 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 not that different from any kind of social media firestorm today. Once the uh, once the headlines turn out to be raves, he's hired back the next day. Too bad that didn't happen with the fire festival. <laughs> Those guys all lost their jobs for good. <laughs> I think that's because the headlines didn't say, "Hey, actually, uh, Blink One Eighty Two was pretty good." Right. You know, it, it turned out nobody showed up and nobody played. Blink One Eighty Two is not that good. If. <laughs> But, but, I'm going to get angry letters for if, that for if sure. If the concerts had actually happened and there all had right. been all this video of people having fun, I think you're right. Like yeah. people would have been fired and then the sandwiches would have been forgotten because the, you know, it's always hard to predict at the beginning how the media cycle is going to go. And this is a company that thought it was going to be bad. And then it turned out, no, we could just rehire the guy and we'll, we'll pay the photographer $20,000 and we'll pay off the families of whoever got killed and still make money. Yeah, every newspaper in the world is talking about the KT Railroad. And honestly, on some level, it kind of proves what a great spectacle we put on. The two people died. Right. I mean, that's how you know this is legit. For sure. Uh, and to me, the greatest sign that um, that it didn't become some traumatic 9-11 style stain on the public consciousness is that Scott Joplin, who was touring Texas at the time, was so impressed that he wrote a piece of piano music called The Great Crush Collision March and put it out a month later and, and had a hit song. Yeah, um, why, why did he make a march instead of a rag? It should have been <laughs> It should have been a rag. I guess maybe this, again, is the war movie thing. There's something militaristic about, right. about steam and, and fire and metal. And it was a hit. And he had, he had a hit song with it. But um, This was during a time, I should mention, where hit songs were... Uh, how much sheet music sheet you music. sold. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because there would be no way to listen to any of your favorites perform them because you did not have favorite performers. So people all across the country sit down at their parlor piano. Your favorite performer is mom or sister <laughs> or sister Ethel. Mom starts picking it out like, here it goes, like, sing along. But uh, but this is kind of the, the precursor of, I guess, an American century of people being willing to pay good money for... The little shiver you get up your spine when things blow up real good. I mean, I guess I spend not no time watching things crash on the internet. Internet videos, yeah. I mean, my favorite is when they uh, when they take a big ship and beach it on those beaches in India where they do shipbreaking. Oh, I love those. Uh, I'll watch those all day. But for me, it's got to be harmless. Like, if it's some dashboard cam, I'm always kind of wondering you know, how, how like we talked about in Faces of Death, you yeah. know, how many people died to bring us, how many Bothans died to give me this amazing Russian dashboard cam video. Yeah. Unfortunately, the years that I spent on 4chan, which uh, only recently did I finally bounce myself permanently off of 4chan. But one of the, one of the things about 4chan was all those um, unedited 
like Russian dash cam videos and uh, plane crash videos where it's jumbo jets that, you know, lose control or military jets and they go straight into the ground as a big fireball or the ones like uh, uh, security cams of gas plants where the whole, you know, there's a fire in a gas plant and everybody runs and then the thing blows up in a way that you can't even imagine. I mean, huge explosions. I watched those that consumed them all and they're terrible. Eventually I couldn't watch the ones where people would get electrocuted or like you say, like crashes where you're like, Ugh, well, people die. This whole thing, you know, from the seventies towering Inferno Poseidon adventure movies all the way up through the shield helicarrier crashing into the Potomac or whatever, you know, our, our appetite for seeing massive things, um, M or explode. Once again, all the fault of a world's fair. They're not, that itch is not scratched by superhero movies where these are, where things, buildings are collapsing and it's, it's clearly digital, right? I mean, you don't get the same, you don't get the same experience watching those. It's, it's not the same, but I kind of, it's an experience I, I like better. I like the clinical experience of knowing, uh, no humans were harmed in making this. Whereas just watching a refinery blow up on the outskirts of Bangalore or whatever, like that video, uh, uh too ominous for me. How did you feel about the tidal wave videos from Japan? Oh, uh, or from Thailand or whatever. I watched those videos. It's, there's nothing like them because on the one hand, you're like, part of you is I'm the water and that's amazing. But then part of you is like, I'm somebody in that line of cars and I'm not going to make it. Uh, I, I don't know why, I guess it's the question of who you identify with, but you know, doing both at the same time was very schizophrenic experience for me watching those videos. Our, our daughter was born two days after the Japanese earthquake that produced all those tidal wave videos where the ah, water just keeps rising. That explains her radioactive powers. Yeah, that's right. And She's we were, Godzilla. we were super worried about it. Like here she is like, like brand new baby. And, and that Fukushima plume was, was arriving in Seattle but she does have superpowers. We're grateful for that. Telekinesis and the ability to drink seven cups of hot chocolate. Yeah, the historical record doesn't say which of these people got train powers. But that's how, you know, that's how it would work today. Right. What is a train power? Uh, tonnage? Hard uh, cartage? Uh, releasing? Full of steam? Yeah, shooting steam at your enemies, full I guess. Full of hot air? Yeah, shoot, yeah, probably shooting steam or maybe just, um, you know, you, you run like the Flash, but you make choo-choo piston sounds. <laughs> C- consumption of coal. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Finally, a superhero that can get rid of all this coal. Thank you, Matter Eater Lad. And that concludes The Crashed at Crush. Entry 292.ZP0110. Certificate number 34659 in the omnibus futurelings in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era and is not 100% train crash videos uh, you can find all of our shows archived at at omnibus project and that is true on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and so forth our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick Um, I have a Patreon but you can support this show at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Fun fact about this show, The Crash at Crush, it was suggested by uh, our listener Peter, who uh, had his uh, maybe significant other, Brittany, uh, gift him a, uh, a Patreon oh, how membership of the show. And by giving it the, at that washing bear level, he got to suggest a show topic. Yeah, unlike my personal Patreon, this Patreon actually has tiers that provide you uh, the omnibus patreon has tiers that provide you with actual rewards He's, here's how this works uh you know if you give it that level for uh you know six months or whatever uh we say hey you get to suggest a show now and he sent over a list of ideas and they were all good enough that i kind of want to do one of his other ideas too so he's he might really get his money's worth here, l- here. later this year if i if i do his other show as well but other uh, uh other tiers you get uh, signed show notes and uh, i'm talking about the chicken scratch that we actually use to ken and i both are are uh our generation x so we actually still put pen to paper 
to make notes to do our shows. For a mere $5 a month, you get access to our monthly addenda shows. And you get back access as well. If you were to give today, you would suddenly have 15 new Omnibuy in your queue. Just in case you went to prison but were allowed to listen to podcasts. I'm not sure what the rules are on that. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, because I would go to solitary if I could have my podcast. Right, I know, me too. And then at the uh, at the at a higher level, you actually get uh, the opportunity to Zoom call with uh, the two of us, and we've had some fantastic Zoom calls with fans. Um, so that's patreon.com slash omnibus project. You can email us at the omnibus project at gmail.com, and that doesn't cost you any money, but it costs us a lot of uh, time and treasure. So be judicious. It does? Uh, oh, well, it may cost you time and treasure because <laughs> your time is a treasure. <laughs> I do go through the email uh, for the addenda show. Oh, right. And the addenda show is is uh, it, it, is largely people trying yeah, to correct us. Listener feedback. And then us explaining to them how they're wrong. <laughs> uh, but you can also send us messages, personal messages like, I love you, Ken. Uh, we encourage you to socialize with other futurelings on various social media. Uh uh, you can search for futurelings and find places to hang. And then you can send us actual mail, which a lot of people do, at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I, I just got a box sent to us, uh, care of the cryptozoology subdirectorate. Whoa. From Fourteen uh, Times. From a, it looks like maybe a Sasquatch-themed Etsy store. I wish I could credit the, I wish I could credit the sender by name, but the initials are RR, if that's helpful. RR. Someone in Toledo, Washington. Where's Toledo? Uh, Toledo is down in Lewis County. It's like a town on the Cowlitz River that's down there in sort of the general kind of what the heck is going on down there part of Washington. You know what I mean? Like down there, there's actually a Rochester, Washington that uh, that always feels like it has some family connection to my people, but it's not that far off of I-5. Are you aware that your name is not Rochester? Uh, yeah. Oh, you know what, you know what Toledo is? You know when you're driving down there and you've got, and Vader shows up on your right and there's that little hamburger joint by Vader? Uh, Toledo is like right on the other side of the freeway. Well, RR sent us the the Sasquatch-themed care package. Two Bigfoot air fresheners? That's where you might see a Bigfoot still. Uh, Yeah, and these, these two, um... Bumper stickers don't appear to be too Bigfoot themed, but this certainly is. Whoa, is that a slipper? If so, it'd be weird to send one Bigfoot slipper. Oh, it's a Bigfoot foot. Yeah, I guess it's just like a little pillow. How much foot would a Bigfoot foot if a Bigfoot could foot foot? But it's got anatomically correct uh, toes, like a Chewbacca. That is a weird little pillow. My cat is going to go crazy for that if your dogs don't. I think your dogs would like it better. Feel, we can fight over the Bigfoot foot okay. lady. What, well, you didn't show me the bumper stickers. What do they say? One of them is a hear no evil, see no evil uh, thing. Yeah, monkey one. And one says bogus with a thumbs down. Hmm, which one do you think I want? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess bogus. 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 Thank you, RR. RR. R. Listeners, from our vantage point here in the distant past, we have... No idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this very recording, like every recording you've heard so far, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus 